Hey, this is Andrew Stewart-Jones. I play Christmas Allen on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. This is Victoria Cartagena. I play Renee Montoya on Gotham, and you're listening to Gotham TV Podcast. How would Alfred deal with these two visitors to Gotham from Ireland? Well, I mean, first of all, how did you get to the ball? And, uh, and secondly, I, I'd grasp you firmly by the elbow, and I'd walk you very smartly to the gates, and I might even show you my commando knife. Uh, <laughs> You could set the dogs on us as well. Yeah, well, no, I don't need dogs, mate. Welcome back to Gotham TV Podcast. This is episode 47 of our podcast, covering the finale of Gotham, episode 22. All happy families are alike. Welcome back. I'm Derek. I'm one of your hosts. Hi, I'm John, one of your other hosts. Welcome, Gothamites, back. Welcome, detectives. Um, The final episode of our podcast looking at the season finale of Gotham, Mm -hmm. episode 22. Yeah, Um, can't believe how big this episode was. Huge. It was like a mini careering out of control around a twisty mountaintop, jam-packed with people and luggage, about to career off the side of the road, but was just kept back on track um, by an expert driver, uh, probably in the form of Danny Cannon, who (laughs) directed it. And of course, Bruno Heller, the showrunner who scripted the episode. You know, this was a absolute monster of an episode Mm -hmm. with... Intrigue for season two, wrap-ups for season one, revelations for recent episodes. So, you know, amazing. Really good. Yeah, absolutely huge. Uh, And the other big news, obviously, is this is, being that it is the finale, this is our finale of Gotham TV podcast. This is the final episode covering Gotham um, for this season. We've had 12, (laughs) yeah, 12 weeks in a row we've been covering Gotham. (laughs) Uh, and obviously the previous 10 episodes last year as well. So uh, we've been doing a lot back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back, uh, the last to back couple to months. Back. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it's kind of sad that, you know, we're coming to the end of Season 1. But I must say, I'm also looking forward to Season 2. Mm-hmm. There's already been some news out on Season 2. Um, but that will come around in a heartbeat. I mean, we're looking to probably take maybe three to four weeks off uh, and come back after a break just to maybe do a roundup and also talk some more comics uh, relating to Gotham and Batman and the DC Universe. So uh, definitely keep listening to us um, and certainly to our American friends as well. You know, we've been slightly out of sync with um, the schedule in the US, but thank you so much for listening and keep listening, keep finding us. Remember, you can find us on www.gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes, or you can search Gotham TV Podcast in any good podcast catcher such as Stitcher, Player FM, and whack in those headphones, um, pump up the volume, <laughs> and listen to our dulcet tones waxing lyrically uh, about Gotham. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have <laughs> if you have any thoughts on Gotham Season 1, any thoughts for what you think is going to happen in Season 2, and if you have any recommendations of comic books we should be covering in our off-season, just make sure you send us an email into feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. It's the best way to contact us. Remember, we will still be on Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. So there is also our Twitter handle, at Gotham TV Podcast. 
And of course, always, if you can, like or plus one our Facebook and Google pages, uh, respectively. Just search Gotham TV Podcast. Absolutely. And we will be coming back at the end of our review for this episode with our competition and our prize winner for this season of our uh, of our prize of the Christopher Minga print of Oswald Cowlpot plus the Gotham by Midnight comics, the first five with art by Ben Templesmith, which uh, are fantastic and really good read. And of course, a few other little goodies that um, we've been keeping quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, without further ado, I think it's on to our review. As John mentioned, this episode, All Happy Families Are Alike, was written by Bruno Heller and directed by Danny Cannon. John, do you want to give us your synopsis for the final episode of Gotham of Season 1? Sure. All hell breaks loose as Gotham descends into all-out chaos and warfare between the rival Mafia factions. As a daring attack on Falcone takes place down at the docks by Maroney. At the same time, another faction, led by Fish Mooney, arrives in Gotham to seize her opportunity for power and revenge, and to truly put the cat among the pigeons. As the fighting intensifies, Barbara, counselled by Leslie Tompkins, must battle her demons as she comes to terms with her ordeal under the ogre, and Ed Nigma also struggles with his inner voice and dual personality mm-hmm. as the riddle man begins to consume Ed. Is this truly the beginning of the Riddler? Meanwhile, the ebb and flow of mob warfare brings about revelations and changing loyalties. Oswald reveals his hand to Falcone. Fish puts a proposal to Maroney. Jim must return one of those big favours. And Butch battles with his allegiances. How and where will the hammer fall? All the while, Bruce and Alfred learn the truth about Stoicism the reason for Thomas Wayne's love of classical music, and the beginnings of his long-held secret, held within the study and fireplace at Wayne Manor. Nothing will ever be the same for Bruce and Alfred again. Yes, as we said, so much going on in this episode, I think I keep saying that. It's, uh... <laughs> I think my tongue was really starting to get twisted in the synopsis. I was like, there's so, so much going on in this episode. But actually... When it came out of the mincer at the end, um, I absolutely loved it. I mean, it, it bordered on maybe just too much happening mm-hmm. at some points, and maybe some aspects of it didn't feel natural or didn't feel as though they flowed. But I think the quality of the characters, a good quality of um, of the writing and the direction, really just about managed to hold the, the final episode together. Mm-hmm. And of course, I also think there were some absolute standout moments um, peppered all along the way um, within this episode. One of them being Ed Nigma's transformation um, into the Riddler. And that, of course, leads me on to my first case point. Mm-hmm. Um, Good link for yourself there, John. Yeah, I job. did, yeah. <laughs> did you know anything about it? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have to say... The the birth of the Riddler um, was just so, so cool. I mm-hmm. thought the entire scene, the fact that Christine Kringle was there, um, she spotted the clue. Yes. Um, but, you know, he's plausible deniability at this moment from Ed Nigma. You know, that is just 
presumably coincidence. You know, he he yeah. he casts it aside, <laughs> but you can. It's it's his first riddle. murder, yeah. his first riddle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he casts that aside. But I I love that interaction that she was there prior to then. What happens were, you know, these voices in his head begin to take over, or I should say this voice, this other voice Mm. begins to take over in his head, and then this other personality begins to assert itself. And I just loved how this whole scene played out in terms of dialogue uh, with Christine Kringle there as well, and also how it was shot, filmed, the editing... Everything, the music, those harsh strings and the piano that kind of crescendoed throughout this scene, I really, really liked. The whole schizophrenic element being really coming into play now with with Enigma, where you hear that slightly tonally different voice coming from the Riddler, but also then just that jerky switch and movement of of his body, that kind of out-of-body experience feel that was was given here. That, to me, was just fantastic. How it was realised um, was superb, you know? Really good. Yeah, yeah. For me, this descent into that personality was great and really fitting for this character, considering his arc over this first season. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. And so well filmed, so well put together. It felt like something out of uh, out of Nine Inch Nails video closer, just the, the way it was edited together, where um, essentially Corey Michael Smith must have t- done about 15 different takes of the different sides of the personality, essentially. Uh, you, you could tell the difference between the two because of the hairstyle, really. You could tell one had a really messed up hairstyle and one didn't. Um, this, the other thing that I loved about it was it wasn't just his uh, his the Riddler voice we'll call it uh, versus um, Edward Nigma's voice. There were also callbacks to things that other people had said to him over the course of the series. That's that true. Started to build up to this, I suppose, this anxious moment that is twisting him and turning him into the Riddler. And yeah, this is going to be a great reveal for season two. They've already spoken slightly about the fact that we'll see more of a rise of the Riddler in season two, and I can definitely see it now. Uh, how is how is Ed going to keep that personality at bay next season? Yeah, definitely. Just a great standout scene in the show, in this episode, and just quality TV, you yeah. know, full stop. It really is um, a great sequence and scene um, leading to this kind of schizophrenic um, alter ego that is bursting out of Enigma. It, yeah. it was great. Yeah. Loved it. Without a doubt. And obviously that was, that definitely is one of my points. Um, for, <laughs> there's, there's no way I could say that that scene wouldn't, wouldn't be a point for me. Um, it, you know, it's, it's probably one of my favorite moments on TV this season because I didn't expect to see it, particularly in this episode. I thought he'd laid enough clues that it would be something you might see in the first episode of next season, perhaps. The fact that we knew there was a clue hidden in the letter that Doherty had apparently sent to Christine Kringle, um, we knew it was there. She found it very quickly. She's an intelligent woman, which I loved, obviously. But um, but the fact that it came in at the end of this episode, I was quite surprised with, and it, it was a really shocking moment and really good to have that reaction from from Ed as well. It was great. Yeah, excellent. excellent. Big time. Um, Derek, what's your uh, first case point then? Uh, my first case point is really about the title of the episode and about the uh, about the um 
the structure, I suppose, of some of some of these elements. You know, we're 22 episodes into a show. Um, so you have got a number of families within within this group. Title of the episode is all happy families are alike. And I just kind of was looking at some of the families that were in there. We don't get don't normally hear much about Bruce's dad. We don't normally hear much about Jim's dad. Uh, in this episode, we get elements of both of them. And really, the the happy family that was there is gone for both of them. You know, it's Jim on his own and Bruce on his own with the help of Alfred. Uh, in this episode, we have Bruce finding out that his father has a secret, so he's starting not to trust his father and not to trust his memory of his father. He seems very angry that his father could have held this secret for so long um, against against uh, against Bruce. But previously, they had a very happy family. Um, then you have Jim, who, for all intents, is per. For all intents and purposes, what we've heard in the past is that Jim really respected his father, thought of his father as a very honest person, a very honest man. And what he's told in this episode is that Falcone and his father were great friends, so much so that Falcone was given a present, I'll bet a bit of a weird one, by his, uh, by Jim's father, um, but that they had a long-term friendship for many, many years and that that's, Falcone respected him. Um, that's quite an interesting revelation for Jim, really. Uh, then you have, you know, a bit, some other the weirder families, I suppose. You have Butch and Fish, who are who are a family. The fact that Fish forgives Butch for shooting her later on shows that they are still a connected family and and of a sort. And then, of course, for an episode like this, you have all the crime families. You've got Falcone, Maroni, Fish, and Oswald. And what what is it that connects the, the lot of them? They all want to be the king or queen of Gotham. So they are again, maybe not so happy families. And definitely the four of them aren't one happy family, but the four crime families definitely have something alike about them. They all want to control the city of Gotham. So I thought a good title for for an interesting episode. They want to lead the big family. Absolutely. Or be the one family or the second family, whichever one they eventually settled on between Fish and, Fish and Maroney. We'll talk about that later on, I'm sure. <laughs> I um, I must say I loved the, the Fish and Butch element of, of what you were saying there. The fact that they were reunited that family element to it and um, you know she's so protective of him she's really distraught at their treatment of him or mm-hmm. what she can see you know she calls out that oswald will pay for this for what he has done to him yeah and um, you can see later on butch battle with that manipulation and control that's been done to him first by victor zaz and then obviously it would appear by oswald you know he i think oswald says remember your teachings and mm-hmm. remember what i've told you and taught you and um, this you see him battling there the different allegiances one forced upon him and one that he went with naturally remember he kills a rival to fish earlier in the season that's right so he has huge respect and I love that. I love the return of these two friends uh, back together again. Uh, and I just love the that whole reuniting of these two great characters. Yeah. It was really, really good to see. Um, and I think to pick up on one of your other points, I really liked um, Jim's chat with Falcone. And I love those revelations about his father. And I think this kind of moves me into my second case point, actually. Right, yeah. Segways are great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think John Doman as Falcone has been absolutely fantastic. And I loved the the scene between Falcone and Jim Gordon on Barbara's balcony. I thought it was a really nice scene between the two. It echoes the scene down in the basement of 
episode one. Yeah. Where they have that chat about his father at being the district attorney and his relationship with Falcone. Yeah, and where Falcone saves Jim and Harvey, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. from being killed by, by Butch. Yeah. And he he brings all this up again through the present that Jim's father had given Falcone, which is this little knife. And it's this scene here. That was your father's. He gave it to me a long time ago. The spur of the moment, birthday gift. I said no. Such a beautiful knife, and I have men with guns to protect me. He said take it. A knife is a good friend when you have no other. You were that close. At one time. Point of the story, Jim. Your father was the most honest man I ever met. But he carried a knife. I just think it's really, really nice mirroring of, as I said, episode one. I love how John Doman and Ben McKenzie just play this scene. It highlights more information about um, Jim's father, which I'm really interested in, actually. Um, That's something I was never expecting to get out of uh, season one of Gotham, was to know more about Jim's father. Mm -hmm. I think John Doman just absolutely um, nails the scene again. And it's just pure quality. It's a really great little scene. Uh, And as I say, a nice nod to to episode one. I think whilst we're on the subject of Falcone, I loved the return of his hens and chickens. (laughs) Um, I thought that was really really good <laughs> that was fantastic yeah yeah uh, yeah lots of uh, lots of possibly roasted chickens now with the yeah, uh... after the bazooka attack <laughs> exactly on his warehouse i thought i just thought that was a nice little touch yeah um and again i think it's the quality of the actors in this whole season and in this episode this episode was full of action it mm-hmm. was full of dialogue it was full of exposition yeah and there were a lot of people in this episode. And I mean, one of my slight notes where I think maybe it's a slight negative, but in a sense, it was rescued by John Doman um, because of his stature and just how he delivered the line was. I did think it was odd. Um, it seemed odd that Falcone turned from saying that he was the one to save the city you know, to help after Jim had rescued him from the hospital, mm. to then suddenly wanting to move out of town and, in a sense, seek the quiet life. I didn't really get that sudden reversal of his view and of his opinion. I know we've seen him want to settle down in other episodes previously from earlier on in the season, but in this moment... Considering what he had said earlier on in the episode, I think just at the um, at the hospital, you know, he goes like, "I need two days at my safe house. You mm. know, I'll skin those rabbits." I mean, he seemed resolute and determined for for revenge. Um, you know, he's clear that if he dies now, everything falls apart, and then all of a sudden he's wanting to to move away, and that just seemed a slight odd note to me mm. um that but it it just about worked or i could just about live with it because i thought john doman did it really well it, it still seemed believable mm. um 
He certainly looked like he was working on on that dialogue, though, to make it as believable, given his previous lines. Yeah. So it's interesting how it works. You know, sometimes you pack an episode so full that it does require a lot of hard work from the actual cast um, of actors and actresses to to really to to sell it. Yeah. Um, certainly yeah, when agree. you're careering down to a season finale where there's expectation and, and so on from the audience. But I thought John Doman was outstanding. That scene with Jim Gordon, excellent. There's a little nod back to the hens. And, and maybe that was a nod back to Liza and this idea of getting out of the business, mm-hmm. you know. But great, great scene. Yeah, I think obviously the revelation that Falcone has come to during this episode and during the scenes that he, that that are going on around him is that Gotham's already gone crazy. He's already lost complete control of this city. You know, <laughs> you've got you've got uh, Selena Kyle, who's a young girl, sixteen, and now got her brand new hairdo and her shotgun. Um, crazy. Yeah, you've got Fish Mooney returning now, which he didn't expect at all. He crazy. Th- yeah, he just thought it was himself versus Maroney. Um, you know, that's what he thought, and he thought he would just take out Maroney's gang. Yeah, he's been upstaged by Oswald. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Oswald with a machine gun. Yeah. Crazy. I <laughs> love that. It was like, how do you shoot this thing? <laughs> bang, 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 bang. It, uh, it was a fantastic moment, wasn't it? Oh, uh, it was brilliant. Yeah. I mean, I was expecting him to stumble all over the place. He was just spraying bullets mm-hmm. across the warehouse. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah, really good. But I think that's the realization that, that Falcone's had. And you're right. It is totally sold by John Doman. The kind of that scene itself is kind of a bit poorly put together, I thought, which is why it probably doesn't sit very well in the episode. They get away for a couple of minutes. They hide behind a, 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 a car. Then they climb into the back of a truck and get brought back in by Selena Kyle. It's, it, it's two minutes away just to say those lines of dialogue, really. It feels like a kind of an insert that was done to make sense of why Falcone isn't there at the end of the episode more than anything else, which is unfortunate. The season hasn't depended on that kind of stuff very much. Um, so you're right. Luckily, you have John Doman playing the part. So, yeah, but good point. Good point. So what's your next case point? My next case point really is about Jim and Loeb. Um, love that they keep bringing back in Loeb. The discussion between the two of them in in the hospital, uh, I think, is really good. Essentially, it's Jim once again challenging Loeb. He's telling him that he's not going to stand aside just because Loeb wants him to. He's a member of the GCPD, but he's not under the control of Loeb. And here's the scene. Morning, fellas. What can I help you with? Yes, Gordon. As usual, wrong place, wrong time. Go. Now. Why? So these men can kill Carmine Falcone? I have no knowledge of that. Go. That's an order. You're a disgrace, Loeb. I hope to see you behind bars very soon. Or dead. Whichever. Hope. It's for losers, Jim. He's all yours. It's just the hope is for losers is the response from Loeb to uh, to Jim when he's saying to him, you know, I want, I hope that you'll be behind bars or dead. Um, Jim is really starting to go to a little bit of his grey side, a little bit of his dark grey side, we'll say. Uh, definitely not turning turn 
fully fully bad, I suppose, but he's wishing people dead um, at this stage. And the the first on his list is Loeb after everything he's done to him. He's the one that sent him to Arkham, as we mentioned in last week's podcast. You know, he's done everything to him. He's the one that set the ogre on him, you know. Um, this This is definitely the battle between these two characters for Jim to obviously eventually become commissioner of Gotham City, City Police Department. Um, he will take over from Loeb in the future, we all know that, but um, but obviously this battle is going to go on for a while between him and Loeb. Yeah, and it just sets it up so nicely for season two. I mean, you're right. Jim has been abused by this man who mm-hmm. is essentially his boss, and now it's set up so sweetly for season two, this power battle or even more of a power battle now at the top of the GCPD between uh, Loeb and Jim and who will win. Yeah. It must ultimately be Jim, but these are the early days. Mm -hmm. So how long does it go on for? Who comes in between? Does maybe Jim win, but doesn't get the commissionership? So it's really intriguing to see what will happen in season two. And I think this is one of the points that is really teed up for um, for season two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just one other point that I really wanted to make about Loeb's conversation there is just the fact that, he, that when Jim calls out to him that you want me to stand aside so these men can murder Falcone, he says, I don't know anything about that. Still playing the politician while leading Moroni's gang in to kill Falcone, he still will not admit that he knows what they're going to do, even though he does. He knows exactly what they're going to do, obviously, but he still won't say it out loud in case something's being recorded, probably, in case something will come back and bite him. Um, I just like that little touch. Yeah, it was it was so in character for what Commissioner Loeb would do. And I think whilst we're in the hospital, mm. um, that segues quite nicely onto my next case point. Good at these, yeah. I really enjoyed all aspects, including the Commissioner Loeb, Jim Gordon face-off in the hospital. I thought the hospital scene was superb. I thought it made sense to me that, you know, he's taken out Falcone and he's put into hospital and the hospital clears and City Hall has switched sides, we've been told. All of this going on. Mm. And I loved Oswald and Falcone. We saw them come together in the Penguin's Umbrella and see that they had this relationship. And here we see Falcone initially pleased at his arrival, thinking he's about to be be saved. And then we get the confirmation from Oswald that this is his game uh-huh. and has been his game all the time. And I think he actually calls it out in this little piece we have here. Good morning, good morning. Oh, Penguin, thank God. Get me out of here. Moroni's men will be here any minute. Yes, I imagine so. <laughs> Mustn't stay long. <laughs> but I knew I regret it if I didn't say goodbye to you in person. <sighs> it was me, old friend. I did this to you. I started the war. From the day I met you, I was planning your end. I'm sorry it has to be in this squalid little corner, but.
Say la vie. Why? Nothing personal, I assure you, sir. You have been a wise mentor and a good friend. But business must come first. So for me, this is just really Oswald coming clean um, to Falcone, you know, as he's picking up the knife, this idea that he's been playing around with them ever since they first met, which was down in the basement when they make their deal. Mm -hmm. The chaos, the rivers of blood that he speaks, that he says to Jim on the docks as Jim is pushing him towards the edge to shoot him, or so Harvey thinks. Is this him teeing it up as well? We talked in... The Arkham episode, I think, about Oswald manipulating Jim all the way through the course of that investigation, Mm -hmm. where it just looked so apparent. And I think here we get confirmation then that he is the master manipulator. Oswald Cobblepot is a force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. And he's sly, he's underhand, but he's brilliant. And I think, again, in the hospital we get the first of the favours that he's calling in on Jim. Yeah. Where he says, you know, you owe me, Jim. You owe me a favour. I'm in your custody. And it's a great thing here between Oswald and Falcone and Oswald and Jim. All these little nuances that occur. Um, And then, of course, you have the big blowout, the big shootout in the hospital. For me... All I could think of was Simon Pegg's Hot Fours, where it's like (laughs) flying through the air whilst shooting, slow-mo double gun shooting. You know, this was pure, I must say, action shootout hedonism. It was a great shootout, proper old school. It was gloriously mental. It was fantastic. I loved, I loved how, how awesome Jim Gordon was. Um, I think while we were watching at Gotham on Five, who, uh, Channel 5, who broadcast the show in the UK, put up a GIF, a slow motion GIF of uh, of Ben McKenzie taking a couple of shots. That scene looks even better in slow-mo. They should have used it in the episode. It's fantastic. Really, really good. And it was just wild. I mean, some good shots as well from Jim. I actually really like how they've captured Jim Gordon's and Ben McKenzie's fighting style. Mm-hmm. I really like it. Every time he does it, it looks brutal. It looks... And like it causes pain and damage. And I think it's really good. And I mean, he gets a good shot in the head. You know, he spins around using someone as um, body armor, shoots another person. Yeah. And then we have what I think you said as the stormtrooper scene where bullets go everywhere except Jim Gordon. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea. How that's <laughs> I, love, I loved it. It was just simply, you know, Glass shattering, lamps flying off desks, mm-hmm. the the bad guys getting picked off one by one, but Jim is fine and dandy. He's sitting pretty. I loved it. I thought it was proper old school, really good fun. Yeah. Uh, final yeah. shootout scene. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I, I don't know how Moroni got to this place in life with having men that shoot that badly. My gosh. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible. Actually, just one little point that occurred to me about Oswald when you were speaking there about his moment in the hospital goes again to prove that he is a supervillain of Gotham, really. He tells his plan to Falcone before killing him, tells him that he was responsible for everything that's gone on and that he's about to kill him. He set up the war in the city. Falcone gets away, 
once again, just like any good supervillain, he's told the one person that shouldn't know that information his entire bad plan, his entire <laughs> entire plan of taking over the city, and then released him and got away. Um, yeah, so so it just goes to prove he's a proper supervillain, which I thought was quite interesting. And yet he did go after Fish um, in the warehouse. Yeah. You know, he was really intent on going after Fish. Yeah, no, that's interesting, yeah, definitely. I thought that was quite fun. Um, but also talked about Moroni. Um, yeah, my next point is really about the Moroni scene. Wow, uh, I know I said that Enigma scene is one of the greatest scenes in television this this year. I think this this season was one of the really uh, most shocking moments. I thought this season, the Moroni scene would have stood out in any other show if it hadn't been for the Enigma scene. Really, David Zayas is really playing the part of Sal Moroni in these scenes so well. The antagonization of Fish Mooney is a fantastic scene where he keeps driving at her and you know he's this kind of guy he's he's a sleazy criminal who thinks he's won um he thinks he's got all of his pieces on the chessboard in the right places he's not smart enough for that we've known that all the way along throughout this season but to antagonize fish mooney who's also gone through hell the hell that we've seen in the last the previous three episodes she was in to antagonize her that much was just the wrong step for moroni but it was still a hugely shocking scene for for David Zayas to get a bullet through the through the eyes. Essentially, he is a well known character in the comic books, but hasn't had a huge amount of appearances. He's only really been in the big story that set up Two Face, um, which was Long Halloween. But but for the character to go out like this, when I thought for the entire episode Falcone was going to go, definitely, um, I thought they were going to maybe push Moroni to the side, but I didn't expect it to be in one. And one bullet shot to the head. I expected that to be some kind of battle. Um, but yeah, just goes to prove Moroni was way overconfident and he definitely shouldn't have been pushing the buttons of Fish Mooney. Yeah, I mean, total RIP Moroni mm-hmm. there. And I thought it was a bit of a shocker as well because, you know, I think in the Nolan films, he may have died as well because Two Face shoots um, his driver. And that's where, right. Yeah. And yeah. um, now. He survives Two Face's um, coin toss on his life, but he then shoots the driver and the car flips. Yep. But Two Face gets out of that alive because he's in there as well. But he's belted up. That's right. That's right. But you could possibly assume that uh, Salvador Moroni has died in that car accident. Yeah, I always forget that he was played by Eric Roberts in uh, in the Batman films. It's been a while since we watched those now, since uh, since we did our coverage of them during our last off-season. Yeah, um, but the, yeah, but David Zayas has really got the part for me now. He really does feel like the Salmoroni I know far better than anybody else. Absolutely, I think. Um, and then obviously in the Long Halloween, a huge um, element to that seminal uh, co- graphic novel and, and comic series there um, by Tim Sale mm-hmm. and Jeff Loeb. So I thought it was a bit of a shock yeah. that he was shot um, like that. But I don't think there's any need to be precious that he was shot as a character and that he's died. Yeah. I think the main thing here is whether it works within the timeline. If you think that he is the one that causes Two-Face mm. but then and his disfigurement... Well, then, obviously, there is a timeline issue here, and that might be the biggest aspect that may cause lots of discussions um, from here on out. But I think, for me, it's actually losing David Zayas. I think you're right. He totally nailed the slime ball of 
Baroni. Mm-hmm. I mean, that interchange of, of of words between him and uh, Fish Mooney, don't call her babes, was superb. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Don't call her babes. And I also like the little callback to what I mentioned, the stormtrooper scene. Uh, in that, there, there is a little callback, I think, from the writer of the show. The fact that Maroni's men couldn't hit Jim Gordon kind of comes into play. Fish is the one that wins that fight, killing all of Maroni's men. So obviously they couldn't hit the side of a barn while her men are quite well trained with the gun. So uh, I think that's how they took them all out. No, definitely. And I think with that, it's kind of one of my points as well. So I think it segues in again mm-hmm. quite nicely because I've got uh, deaths and returns. Um there's lots of deaths here, or mm. near-death experiences, or possible deaths. But there is very much one big resurrection, one big return. And that is Fish Mooney looking like the boatman coming out of Hades yeah. right at the start. You know, the last time we'd seen her, she'd been shot in the stomach uh, while she was piloting the helicopter. We see now she has survived that. So this is a huge return from a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. Um, at the hands of Dulmaka's goons. Um, but she returns, so that's huge, because we haven't seen her for a, a couple, if not three episodes yeah, here. Yeah. This was a big um, sudden return. I was anticipating that she was going to maybe show up in season two until we heard that um, she wasn't. Yeah. But is she? Maybe. We don't know, because... With that return, there was a possible death of Fish Mooney. That's right. Fish love water. All that's happened to her is she's gone into the drink. That's right. <laughs> because Butch shot Oswald and then Fish right in the legs, and then Oswald pushes her over. Yeah, yeah. If she can survive a gunshot to the stomach, I reckon she can survive a gunshot to the leg. Mm-hmm. And... A topple. I know it was a long way now. Definitely was a long way, but can survive a fall into the water. Yeah, as you mentioned, if anybody can survive falling from that height into the water, it's going to be fish. So it, that again provides to me a lot of intrigue. Mm-hmm. I know we've heard that she's not coming back, but I think there's always the possibility. Absolutely. And here's this was a possible death of fish, yeah. not a confirmed hit. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, you know? and there is the point being made that that. Jada Pinkett Smith has said she's not returning for season two. That did not necessarily mean that if there is a season three, four, five, that doesn't mean that she won't don the big blue eye and return to Gotham in uh, season three revelation or maybe even season two finale. Uh, yeah. So yeah. that was back. that was one of them. Obviously, Maroney that we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, you know, critical uh, killing the and death in Maroney. Yeah. As we've we've mentioned already. And then obviously there was the near death of. Falcone. Mm-hmm. He was literally a blade's uh, width away from being sliced open by Oswald's favourite implement, the the knife. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was a huge um, let off for Falcone. But again, intrigue. Will he now retire? Does this mean we won't see John Doman in, in season two because mm-hmm. he's retiring out of Gotham? Or will he still be involved in season two? So there's a lot of things here with deaths, near deaths, possible deaths. What will happen? Who will replace these these people from, from season one? Mm-hmm. Or will they return? Because certainly with David Zayas, with uh, John Doman, and I think with Jada Pinkett Smith, 
the three huge actors who um, are, are potentially leaving Gotham here um, in this finale. Um, I kind of hope they don't all go. Obviously, Maroney seems pretty certain. <laughs> yeah, um, so. But again, it just adds a lot of intrigue to season two. And it, it does provide some real drama um, for this episode. You know, Falcone, will he, won't he? Maroney definitely will. Yeah. Fish, is she, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Great, great. Loved it. Loved all these deaths and returns yeah. in this episode. Yeah, absolutely. So my next point is about Barbara and Leslie, the other big scene in the episode uh, where we're kind of cutting back from the action to Leslie and Barbara in uh, in Barbara's apartment. I've mentioned it quite a few times over the last couple of episodes and over the last kind of arc for Barbara about the fact that there are they are showing that she's gone to the lowest level. Uh, I really like how Bruno Heller writes this character. He obviously has given this as guidance to the other writers that came on board that this is what he wants to see happen with her to show that you know, that she hasn't had the most privileged of life just because she has the money in that fantastic apartment um, doesn't mean she's had the easiest of lives. Um, she explains that it is it is the ogre that's uh, convinced her to kill her own parents. She explains that the reason for that is essentially that they treated her so badly when she was a kid. Um, she's explaining that she's lost everything. I think it's a really good scene to begin with. Um, that basic concept works really, really well. Where it kind of goes a bit off the rails for me is the fight with Leslie. Um, I'm not too sure whether we've heard enough from Barbara that would tell me that she's gone so far over the edge that she's going to kill her potential love rival with Jim Gordon, who she agrees she's lost. Um, There are some fantastically hilarious moments of it, but I'm not sure they were meant to be hilarious because I think Aaron Richards is playing this part very seriously. And I don't think some of the scenes that we're that that are in that are meant to be as funny as they are. Here's Barbara. <laughs> I, Sent me straight out of The Shining. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that's a reference. I definitely think he's referencing The Shining without a doubt. Absolutely. But I and I I, I actually loved that. Uh-huh. I loved the referencing of The Shining. To me, it was absolutely classic. I think I agree. It's. To me, it's just she's gone off the rails. I was there. I loved how Aaron Richards played Barbara Keane here. I thought it was vulnerable. It was devastated. Mm-hmm. It was just fantastic. As you say, what she's been through in the last, um, oh, the previous three episodes is huge for anybody to take on board. And I like that we're seeing the consequences of that. And I, think the way Aaron Richard portrays that is absolutely fantastic. At the same time, I love the interaction between Aaron Richards and Marina Baccara, mm-hmm. um, Leslie Tompkins and Barbara Keane. I love these interactions. I think it's handled really well. But then I'm taken out of it by thinking, would this even be allowed? Trauma counselling to Barbara mm-hmm. by the girlfriend of her ex, is that suitable for trauma counselling? Probably not. But, you know, I can forgive it because it's heightened environment yeah. and I suppose ultimately leading towards maybe this breakdown. Yeah. Uh, but I, I do like the little dig that uh, that Leslie gets into Barbara quite early on when Jim comes in to visit the two of them and Leslie goes, you need trauma counselling? 
like now, <laughs> which is a nice little dig from, from uh, again, from Leslie to her love rival, I suppose. And in fairness to Leslie Tompkins, she is not looking to counsel Barbara. Mm-hmm. It's Barbara who's been um, persistent and persuasive in, in this matter. But I liked the fight between them. I thought it was, I thought it was good. I thought, um, to me, it was more about not that she was dispensing of her love rival. It was just that she's got the killer in her. The ogre has still um, manipulated her enough. I mean, we've seen that, obviously, um, Butch Girl's Ian, but I think it had a bit of the dark humour um, of the, here's Barbara. Yeah. But I'll give the you head bashing... I'll give you that. I just, I think... Yeah. <laughs> Let me finish, because what I did think... Like, let me just finish what I was saying, because what I did find absolutely hilarious was Leslie Tompkins battering Barbara's head against the wooden floor yeah. as the door swings open mm-hmm. to reveal Jim looking at... Essentially, <laughs> I can only thing that's going through his mind is, why is my girlfriend trying to, like kill my ex-girlfriend as though that wouldn't be obvious by the fact that his ex is being counselled by his current girlfriend Mm -hmm. but then Leslie runs up to him saying she tried to attack me but as a police (laughs) officer you're walking in and seeing someone else attack someone the other person it's awful it's awful this is exactly (laughs) what my point was I I loved the writing of the scene I thought it was fantastic once it gets into the fight, there are some funny moments, but the escalation to to Leslie must have, Leslie who must have bashed Barbara's head on the ground about ten times. Poor Barbara, I think she might have a little cave in the back of her head there. <laughs> I thought so too. Um, but it does all end with another fantastic Bullockism, another fantastic moment from Harvey Bullock, where he says, "I told you that girl was trouble about Barbara," which I think is brilliant. A great little cap on the scene, but it was escalating humor. Uh, a point when you probably didn't need it. This is a pretty, as we, as you said, a hugely traumatic situation for Barbara. And, you know, Barbara doesn't get a huge amount of love from a lot of, from a lot of characters in Gotham. And this could have been the moment to reveal that there's a lot of pain built up in her and perhaps get, have her get some help for this. But unfortunately, that wasn't the decision they went with. They went for bashing her yeah. head off the ground. It was a bit off kilter, but hilarious towards the end. Um, unintentionally maybe i don't know um but i was chuckling away i have to say um, mm-hmm. and this but, was the scene she was recording when uh, when she was doing her her live below the line challenge john remember we heard about that when we were watching the interview with her a couple of months ago yeah definitely um but i think one thing is you know tea and cake and knives are um you know something to steer clear of in barbara's apartment yeah and when you're doing counseling with somebody definitely so john what is your final point it has to be Mm -hmm. we kept this one aside didn't we the secret entrance in the study in the library of wayne manor thomas wayne's former nest and uh, and refuge is clinically taken apart by <laughs> by the young Bruce Wayne mm-hmm. and it was just brilliant it was really unexpected i was wondering how the whole scene between alfred and bruce w- was going to play out it seemed to me just to 
not necessarily be going anywhere. And then you got the reveal, and it was fantastic. Firstly, Batcave material. Secondly, secret entrance. Mm -hmm. Thirdly, Bruce and Alfred, for me, one part of this season that is absolutely fabulous, absolutely fantastic. Mm -hmm. Great interchange, great interplay, um, great dialogue. Um, There's a real good chemistry um, I think between these two on screen and um, yeah you think you hear bats flapping their wings down the stairs you know what's down there is it a wine cellar maybe <laughs> is it yeah. um, is it the start of a bat cave I mean the thing I wrote in my notes was is Batman going to be turned generational that in the same way that the Court of Owls re- continually adds to its ranks from the families that are the Court of Owls. In the comic books, yeah. In the comic books. Will a vigilante, maybe not Batman, maybe that is the symbol that Bruce specifically picks up, but maybe down those stairs is something that suggests that Thomas Wayne was equally as much a vigilante trying to protect other people, maybe in a different way. You know, in Batman Begins, he is philanthropic. And what we know here is that he has to hide that from his own company. Mm -hmm. As Lucius Fox has said, he is stoic. And what we find out here is that's a philosophy, that he has to hide his true self. That's Batman. Yeah, yeah. So it's a really interesting... Um, really intriguing ending for this show, and it was fantastic. I loved it. I mean, I I thought they were going to maybe have um Bruce Wayne fall into a, a cave yeah. or a sinkhole, um, in the episode where he's going out to see the the sunrise early in the morning, um, that he used to do with with Thomas, and he ends up doing it with Alfred. And I thought. The moment where he falls, he's going to seek refuge in a cave or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we'll get a little nod to um, maybe the origins of the Batcave. And here, we just have a secret entrance. I mean, maybe we're reading way too much I, into it. Yeah. And maybe it's just additional uh, storage space. But <laughs> I finally found that place where Dad used to take <laughs> all my toys and put them when he but was I angry with me. Yeah. It, it was superb. I mean, fair plays, this is a big talking point. Um, I can't wait to see what happens in season two for them to explain this. There's got to be something good. I know. I know they're really going to have to work hard here, aren't they? Um, I'm. I'm very intrigued by it. I think it's a fantastic scene. I love that they find it. I love that they play the fantastic classical piece just to kind of tie in with the fact that that's what is that's what Bruce used to hear when he was a kid. Um, I'm not so sure about the Batcave. I think people are getting their hopes up way too much. Bruce finding the Batcave when he's 12 and he's still got another six years to go before he becomes the Batman. I think you're right, John. I think the idea that this is another secret room that contains something that belongs, some secret that belongs to Thomas that he doesn't want the rest of the world to know, I think that's more likely than it being a fully kitted out bat cave with, you know, two sizes of bat of bat suit, you know, one for his son and one for himself that he, you know. <laughs> but I'm really hopeful that the uh, that the Gotham TV writers um, do pay off the big find in Wayne Manor, though. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, I'm calling it the Batcave because it's a secret entrance. 
coming from Thomas Wayne's study mm-hmm. in Wayne Manor. I know there's not the Batman. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm, not, I, I'm not saying just you. This is this is yeah. uh, more to do with the theory of a lot of people. This is the Batcave. I'm just saying, I, it's, I'm just saying it's the way I'm describing it, in a sense, really. And I did mm-hmm. have a flicker for a moment, which I have in my notes that is Batman intergenerational. Mm. You know, we have Batman Year One, we have Batman Year Zero, we have Batman Year One Hundred. You know, Robin is renewed with different people. Yeah, the cause of owls are renewed. Batman is renewed. This idea potentially could be a runner mm-hmm. to an extent, yeah. but I don't think it's with Thomas. I think it is with Bruce. But maybe Thomas was doing another form of vigilantism. Um, that was more philanthropic, less um, going after the bad guys, but more um, trying to help the poor, uh, working class uh, and needy mm. in society. And that's what he has to hide from Wayne Enterprises, yeah. the more ethical, moral uh, version of Wayne Enterprises right. uh, to an extent. So maybe it's a Robin Hood costume, that's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's an Iron Man suit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be, that would be he awesome. He actually is Tony Stark's dad. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. John, do you have any notes about this episode? Yeah, um, another film reference. Obviously, um, I've mentioned The Shining mm-hmm. with Here's Johnny. Um, and of course, Jack Nicholson played the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Right. We do have I Am the King of Gotham. He does a very Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, there was no Kate Winslet, but it pushed her off in the form <laughs> of Fish Mooney. Um, Legs flying. You know, um, the Titanic reference, I mean, to me, yeah. it seemed very Titanic. Um, and I kind of could have done without it a bit, maybe. But, you know, again, another film reference. Um, I liked it. I liked no, it I, I, I didn't mind it, but I, I think it was because I was thinking of Titanic, not because of it being right. Gotham. It was more, oh, it's like a Titanic reference. <laughs> it was more that thing. Um, right. I loved what Fish said to Harvey Bullock, where she looked at him as he was tied up and says, you know, we're cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see him that he's been released later on yep. uh, in, in that scene. He's been taken down from the hooks. Um, I thought that was a real nice touch and between these two characters and sort of maintaining that dynamic mm. where, you know, last time he'd seen her, he was helping her out of Gotham to protect her. So that was really, um, really nice, I thought, um, definitely. Mm-hmm. Derek, do you have any other little notes on, on the episode? Yeah, yeah, a couple, a couple from me as well. Uh, first things first, right at the beginning of the episode, we got our first ever time jump. Um, so all those people that have wanted a time jump in Gotham, you got it. It was two weeks, and I'm hoping that's the only time jumps that they do on the show. Again, we talked about it last week from a piece of feedback that we received. Uh, we, I do not want to see a time jump where it's a couple of years and they replace David Mazus, for example, uh, so they can bring in Batman in this show. I'm happy enough with a couple of weeks or a couple of months. We've had a time jump back of 10 years. Well, yeah, yeah, we've had we've had flashback, yes, but not a not a time jump as such. But I did like the That's like the idea. Backwards. All right, all right, Doctor Who, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I I get what you're saying. There there was a little uh, blip in the space time continuum yeah. in Gotham. Absolutely. <laughs> 
And then the other one was just a line that was said in the episode that I just didn't really understand. And it's kind of possibly connected with that two-week time jump, maybe. Um, but essentially, Jim says to Harvey, I'm done in this town. He actually says it to a cop in GCPD first. And then he says to Harvey, I'm done in this town. I've got nothing to live for and everything, nothing to lose, essentially. I'm done in this town. I might as well go out in a blaze of glory, essentially. How did that happen? I, that's what I want to know. I've watched all 22 episodes of this. I've done a podcast about it and watched pretty intently on what's going on. He's just got himself a new girlfriend. He saved his ex-girlfriend from the ogre, uh, uh, essentially a terrorist who's been taking out GCPD members and their family. Um, and he's getting he's going to get back at, at Commissioner Loeb. Why is he now in a worse place than he was with, the, with that two-week time jump? Did we just not get to see it? Or is it the fact that there is a, a turf war going on that he can do nothing to stop? But that wouldn't be personally affecting Jim Gordon. So I just didn't really understand the line. I thought it was kind of a bit of a weird uh, concept for Jim to suddenly feel that he's lost everything and he might as well get out of Gotham because everybody's treating him so poorly. It didn't really make that much sense for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it did seem strange because I was thinking he, it, he's being made head of the police union mm -hmm. as well. To an extent, he's got Loeb's number called. So kind of has a certain amount of uh, power over him uh, there in the sense that he's no longer afraid of him. Yeah. But we haven't seen um, Mayor Aubrey at all. So you never know. There could be these other things which could have been going on off screen. And I do think, um, as you say, it could just be something to do with the time jump, that it's all headed south um, after those two weeks. You know, he's got powerful enemies uh, in Commissioner Loeb and Mayor Aubrey there um, massing against him. That's a problem and could be in it for the future. Mm. So it's interesting. It seemed like a weird choice since most of this, this season has been the story of Jim Gordon in GCPD and kind of showing how he's starting to get some of the GCPD on his side. He's winning his cases. He's he's has a, a nice love interest. It's kind of an odd choice to have him going from defeating the ogre at the end of one episode to saying, I might as well leave Gotham, I've lost everything. It seemed like a weird choice. Maybe the line shouldn't didn't need to be there uh, and that when they extended the, the series, maybe. Perhaps that was it. Um, that it's it's a line that's just slightly out of context. But but with that, I think that's our review of Gotham overall for for this season finale, John. Yeah, loved it. Um, I thought it was... A roller coaster. I mean, it really was. I mean, and to the point where sometimes you felt the wheels were coming off and you were <laughs> going to be flying off that roller coaster, heading um, very rapidly towards the ground and the hard surface. Yes, and there was possibly be, pushed down by Leslie Tompkins. Yeah, a huge <laughs> bump. Um, but I think it just about pulled it off. And actually, there's a lot um, in this episode, I think, that is some really good TV, some really touching moments a number of reflective moments back, like between Falcone and Jim. Mm -hmm. There's Enigma's uh, transformation, which is great TV. There is um, you know, a shocking revelation at the end with the fireplace moving back, the classical music blaring, and seeing Alfred and Bruce aghast at you know, what is down there. Yep. You hear something flushing around down there. Um more likely to be bats, I would suspect. There is a load of different things happening. Fish comes back. Yep. You have Butch Fish reunited. You have Butch 
Oswald and Fish fighting. I mean, there's huge amounts of stuff going on. And I think it works just about, mm. definitely. Um, yeah. And it was a, it's a good season finale. It does tee up some interesting questions for season two and where they'll go. Um, so, yeah, a great, great episode, yeah. I think, to, to finish off a 22-episode season that, at the start, was only 13. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, really intriguing, definitely. A really, really good episode. Really enjoyed the season finale. And Selena with a shotgun. How, how can you go wrong? <laughs> exactly. So, I think if you have any thoughts or comments specifically on this episode that you want to let us know about, and we can always... Uh, bring these into uh, a future episode in maybe about four weeks, you know, please send in your comments to feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. You can also leave comments on our Facebook page and on our Google Plus page. Just search Gotham TV Podcast. Uh, follow us on Google, like our page on Facebook, and of course, tweet at us at Gotham TV Podcast. Yeah. And I think with that, it's on to our feedback and competition result. Absolutely. Fascinating. Fascinating. Points well made, I think. So our first bit of feedback comes from Agent Daniel uh, from the Welcome to Level 7 podcast. Uh, thanks very much, Daniel. It's really good for you to get in contact with us. Um, so he starts with, what does a stomach bug food poisoning bring you? Binge watching Gotham. <laughs> <laughs> Where are Montoya and Alan? Seriously, what do they need to do to get some screen time? Um, yeah, totally agree. Montoya and Alan have been completely lacking for the rest of the second half of the season. We saw one one nice scene with uh, with Rene Montoya um, saying goodbye to Rene in episode 11. And we never saw Andrew Stewart-Jones again uh, from, I think, episode 10 was his last episode or even episode 9. So, unfortunately, the MCU did not investigate any major crimes in the second half of the season and a terrible loss for the show, I thought. Yeah, I mean, firstly, thanks, Agent Detective Daniel, for for the feedback. Hope you're feeling better after um, the the stomach bug food poisoning. Um, you will hear no qualms uh, from me about that. I completely agree. I actually don't even want to go into it too much because I kind of feel it's more of a round table topic, mm-hmm. possibly. Um, yeah, really missed both of them in. Uh, the second half of the season uh, I thought they could really have been just as prominent without too much screen time uh, as they were in uh, the first part of season one I mean even in this last episode to have them coming in and fighting some of Maroney's goons um, in the warehouse or rescuing um, Jim and Harvey in the hospital or something there was ample opportunity to involve them um so you know fingers crossed uh legs crossed head crossed uh arms crossed everything crossed to hope that they are in season two but i i don't want to go into it too much i suppose for me okay yep uh Daniel goes on to say, uh, bring on more adventures of bat and cat kid detectives <laughs> um yeah i don't really know after the murder of reggie whether Bruce really trusts Selena that much um, anymore. I'm not really too sure. I know they had their little adventure after that. Um, but yeah, really good scenes with, with those guys as kid detectives, definitely. Yeah, I definitely think um, Selena Kyle has maybe grown up beyond maybe Bruce Wayne to an extent. Obviously, killing someone at a young age 
would have that effect. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting. But I like the dynamic between the two, and I still think there's an awful lot to explore there. So yeah, definitely bring on the kid detectives. But it may also be nice to explore how they're diverging as well. Yeah. So it, it should be really interesting, yeah. So Daniel says, how many cobble pots do you two have? Because everyone, and I mean everyone in Gotham, seems to have killed someone. <laughs> He's absolutely right. Um, another email we got in from Daniel. I'm going to read the two of them together because they came in quite close together. Uh, he says, I desperately do not want Barbara Keane to be the mother of Barbara Gordon. Barbara Gordon should be a source of light in this world. And I can't see a Barbara Keane Jr. as being someone who could give us hope in the grime. Now I can see her, especially now, as the mother of James Jr., Yep, she totally could be as his mom. I guess we won't know until the series jumps forward in season four. So, for the non-comic book readers out there, what Daniel's referring to here is essentially that Barbara Gordon, who becomes Batgirl, is a much more kind of peppy, fun character, especially if you've seen Batman 66. She's a much peppier character. Um, definitely, if you're going to see potentially those kind of people come out of, of kind of bad circumstances around them, possibly, but she's not going to learn a huge amount of of being a happy, joyful person from uh, from the way poor Barbara's uh, been in this season. Anyway, she's been a very dark character. Yeah, I, I still think Barbara can be lightened. I think she can recover, and maybe she has to be the eternal optimist and uh, have a lighter side to her, given the trauma that she's been through. Uh, maybe. That bang on the head will have uh, maybe lightened her mood. Yeah, lightened her mood. She maybe she's forgotten everything about the ogre now. Uh, she's got amnesia instead, yeah. and is a completely different person. So it'll be interesting a, to see. What a great bit of therapy, then. <laughs> exactly. It'll be interesting to see. How many cobble pots do I have? I don't have any. No, me neither. Um, and <laughs> I guess we don't live in Gotham, which is a good thing. Yeah, as well, that so. is a good thing. Yeah. Um, but no, no cobble pots. <laughs> Maybe a, a fly with a, a new roll of newspaper or something like that. Well, then you've got a million cobble pots. Yeah. But, um, you know, thanks so much, Daniel, for, for the feedback, Agent Detective Daniel. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's really good to hear your thoughts on, on this, as it is to hear everyone's thoughts as well. And I think we have uh, some more uh, feedback. Yeah, yeah, some feedback and a bit of news this week about another member of the Smith clan. Uh, Jaden Smith has been cast as Static Shock uh, in the upcoming DC project, so apparently a multi-film deal. Uh, not given official uh, official news from DC yet, but definitely uh, confirmed by a, an actor who was in um, The Walking Dead, an actor called uh, Tyler James Williams, who apparently is very close with Jaden Smith. Um I don't know much about the character of Static Shock. Apparently, he's a he's had a bit of a popular run in some of the some of the uh, cartoons that have been on, and some of the uh, some of those. But I definitely don't know a huge amount about him from the comic books. Uh, he is a he is a young character, apparently modeled off Spider Man, so quite a similar kind of character to that style for the DC universe. Uh, but played by Jaden Smith is probably the most interesting part of the story. Um, you now have Jada Pinkett Smith, obviously as Fish Mooney. You also have Will Smith with his upcoming role in uh, Suicide Squad. And now Jaden, the third member of the Smith clan, is now in the DC Universe. So quite interesting. And Dylan Exner said, do you think this is true? If so, what DC character should Willow, the other member of the Smith clan, what character should she play? Are the Smiths taking over the DC Universe, John? It would seem so. Yeah, it'd be interesting. Um, Willow should play... 
she could play a good poison ivy as well. We already have a poison ivy. No, but I sure, know, but but DC Universe is definitely known for having multiple versions of the same character, or multiple actors and actresses playing the same character. So yeah, maybe, maybe you know. Yeah, thanks for that feedback, Dylan. It's very possible that Willow will Willow will get a part in the uh, in one of the DC shows coming up. Uh, maybe that was the whole deal with uh, with Jada and and the deal with Will that their kids get parts in DC movies in future. We do know that uh, Jaden Smith does have a penchant for wearing a uh, white Batman outfit to uh, to weddings and um apparently his recent uh, his recent outing to a party was him wearing a uh, a white Batman suit as well so um he obviously likes his DC comics so we interested to see what he does yeah thanks for that don't we also got a lot of final episode feedback whilst we were watching uh, Gotham on channel 5 uh, we got um a lot of Twitter, uh, but we also got a, another uh, bit of feedback from Dylan Exner on Facebook, and he said that without giving too much away, the final shot is the best part. I must say, completely agree with that. Loved the the whole reveal of the fireplace and the secret passage. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I, I'm not too sure actually, Dylan. I'm. Uh, I, I think there were three different shots in that in, in this episode that are fantastic i do love the reveal of the fireplace but i want to know what it is next season um for me definitely the moroni shot to the head and enigma's uh, moment of clarity i suppose or moment of riddler um are two huge scenes for me in this episode next up we got some twitter feedback as well james story says i'm sure you'll have plenty to discuss on your final episode love the finale 110 mile an hour all the way through yeah, Beth uh, Foy uh, said on Twitter, I feel sorry for Miss Kringles and for her safety in the next season of Gotham. Yeah, and Barnes Crew Talk says, what a finale, that was awesome. And the football season finished the same weekend. My life feels empty now. <laughs> <laughs> Doug uh, Green on Twitter, so boys, was season one everything you hoped it would be? Oh, yeah, interesting, interesting. Interesting question. Yeah, I th- I think we might save that for a full season one wrap up. Um, definitely some highs and lows, some good and bad points. Uh, it's a long season, twenty two episodes, so we'll we'll definitely be gathering our thoughts for a future episode. Yeah, I think season one was very flexible. My views and opinions about it changed quite a lot, mm. but overall, I really liked it. Yeah. And what I mean by my opinions changed was that. It wasn't that they got better or worse. I meant how I viewed the show and what it was trying to do changed. And I was happy enough to watch that. I think maybe for some people, it wouldn't have fitted them. It it wouldn't have been what they wanted. But I saw an evolution of a TV show that didn't know it was going to get 22 episodes as well as a TV show, um, I suppose. So um, season one was interesting, uh, but definitely liked it overall yeah yeah absolutely and our final piece of feedback comes in from don christopherson who's been tweeting along with us for the last i think 12 episodes we've been pretty much tweeting every single uh single monday night and don just says it's a wrap thank you so much for letting us enjoy the show in your good company and thanks very much for listening don thanks very much for tweeting along with us and to all the rest of you so so good to hear from yeah. you yeah thank you so much for for tweeting along facebooking um, and listening to the show, it's so good to to hear your thoughts, and it's really good uh, having that community. It's such a great um, thing to to have, 
And thank you so much for us being in good company with everyone else out there. It's great. Thank you. Absolutely. And with that, I think it's on to our draw for... Uh, yes, live on air. Just like World Cup draw, but maybe not as big budgeted. <laughs> John, do you have the hat? I do. And the names are all loaded into the hat. Mm-hmm. Um there was a good response from uh, when we launched the competition. So we've got about 30 names in the hat. There's yeah. people who have um, contacted us through Facebook, through Twitter, through Google+, um, and also through feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com, or who have left a review for, um, for us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. So they're all in the hat. Loads of people. There are familiar friends who comment and join in all the time there are a few um new people that have uh, also sent in feedback so i think we should just get to it and um pull a name from the hat live on air so go on shake it up (laughs) drum roll And the winner is Ben Rush. Ben Rush. Excellent. Congratulations, Ben. Uh, we will get in contact with you and get your details and pop it on those prizes. Yeah, no, congratulations, Ben. Um, thank you so much for the feedback, and we will send on those prizes. So that's a signed Christopher Aminga print of Oswald Cobblepot. It's the first five issues of um, Gotham After Midnight. It is also a Batman 66 wallet. Mm-hmm. It is a Gotham travel pass. And it is a pick up a penguin. Excellent. I hope you enjoy those, Ben. Thank you so much. And thanks to everybody else for their feedback throughout this season. Really good of you to keep, keep in contact with you, as I said. Uh, one of the huge thank you to John for his synopsis for every episode <laughs> this season. They've been fantastic and uh, really hard work gone into those as well. And thank you, Derek, for doing everything else, <laughs> which is not true, everyone. No, it's, it's not, not true. true. It's not true at all. Uh, thank you, everyone, so much. It's been great fun. Loved doing this. Um, loved doing the draw at the end. Um, I think you guys out there are the reason we do it, mm-hmm. as well as our interest for DC properties and for, for Gotham and Batman in particular. The cast of Gotham as well make it such an interesting um, TV show to to follow Um, loving that we've completed our first season of Gotham and again thank you so much to Derek for again his input into the podcast for all the the points that he makes as well Um, Mm -hmm. the five points uh, structure that he came up with really good way of, of of doing the podcast for us, uh, which changed obviously midway through the season. So we're learning, we're developing, just like the the cast creators and crew of of Gotham. Yeah, absolutely. And a very special mention for the cast of Gotham and the, the people that have come to us and come on board and had interviews with us. We've had um, Sean Pertwee, we've obviously had Victoria Cartagena and Andrew Stewart-Jones, who you hear at the start of every episode, gracious enough to give us that. Um, obviously, all the cast that we met at New York Comic Con last year with Donald Logue and Ben McKenzie, um, Aaron Richards, um, Danny Cannon, the creator of the show. 
And of course, Philip Hernandez, who sent us in that wonderful voicemail. He played the medical examiner on that great episode of Gotham, or the first victim of uh, Ed Nigma. Really good of him to send that in as well. Fantastic to have all of those people that were good enough to give their time to us as a little podcast from Ireland. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening. Um, it's been a blast and we will see you in four weeks, but also more importantly, we will see you for season two of Gotham. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. TV podcast, do not cross Alan and Montoya.